Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. I would like to begin by reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And what I want to do is, is kind of give you the scripture so that it's fresh in your mind and, and so that as I begin to, to work through this, it'll, it'll be, be right there front and center. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, I'm going to begin with verse 1. It says, finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God as we have taught you. You live this way already and we encourage you to do so even more. For you remember what we taught you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. God's will for is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not, each, um, not in lust, lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and his ways. Never harm or cheat a fellow believer in this manner by violating his wife, for the Lord avenges such sins as we have solemnly warned you before. God has called us to live holy lives, not impure lives. Therefore, anyone who refuses to live by these rules is not disobeying human teaching, but is rejecting God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. But we don't need to write you about the importance of loving each other, for God Himself has taught you to love one another. Indeed, you already show your love for all of the believers throughout Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Now, Paul is giving instructions to the Thessalonian church, and, and they were primarily a bunch of new believers. And so when we begin talking about Christian behavior, our, our Christian conduct, it's, it's natural that the word ethics would, would come up. Now the word ethics, um, or the concept of ethics, is really one of the most important concepts that, that there is. Uh, the, the truth is that um, we, we really need to make sure that we have a, a good, clear grasp on Christian ethics. Now, what is ethics exactly? Well, ethics are the moral principles that govern our behavior. You know, it's the standard of conduct and moral judgment. Ethics are what form our moral compass. And when people are not being guided by strong ethical principles, then basically anything goes. Individuals form a society. We understand that. And so the morals and the values, the ethics of people are what form the ethics of a society. 
And if people, again, don't have a strong moral, ethical compass, then the society is ultimately going to break down. Um, you know, when, when we talk about something being ethical or unethical, what we're talking about is whether it's good or bad according to the standards of a society. Now, many of the arguments that we hear today have to do with the fact that ethical standards are changing. They're, they're, they're going through a, a transition. And therein lies the problem. Because people and therefore societies are constantly going to be changing. They're constantly going to be altering, especially if there are no absolute moral values. You know, what, what was acceptable um, today, even 10 years ago, would have been considered outlandish, you know, unacceptable. And so when people in the society they live in are, are going through transitions and going through, through change, it creates a, a breakdown. And the problem ultimately boils down to there is no recognized or accepted absolute standard. When people have poor ethical standards, then um, they, they're going to be all over the place morally speaking. And certainly that's exactly what we see happening in, in our society today. The problem with that, Proverbs 14.12 says, there is a way that people think is right, but it leads only to death. Now, there are, and, and there is good news, that there are a set of absolute standards. Now, the bad news is, is that the vast majority of humanity refuses to recognize or submit to those absolute ethical standards. The standards of conduct that have been set forward by God in the Bible are absolute. And they're very easy to understand. They're, they're very practical. They give us a structure that, that is, again, absolute. But people don't want to submit to them. People don't want to admit to them. People don't want to recognize them. And that, that is the issue. Now, what Paul is laying out here in 1 Thessalonians 4 are very basic ethics. They, they are a, a framework, if you will, on how to live the Christian life. In the first part, in verse 1 and 2, it says, Finally, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you in the name of the Lord to live in a way that pleases God. Now, if we want to understand, again, just some very basic rudimentary um, understandings of, of the ethics that we should live by, the very first one, the very most important one, is we need to learn to live to please God. That, that is number one. You know, there, the, again, Paul is writing to new converts. And so what he's doing is he's saying, you need to understand, you need to get your priorities straight. You need to make sure that you have everything laid out in a way that, that 
will keep you headed in the right direction. And certainly these are also principles that, that each and every one of us need uh, to be reminded of, if nothing else. So the first thing that Paul says is, learn to live to please God. Now, the reason that most people refuse to follow God and refuse to acknowledge God as, as Lord in their life is because all humanity is sinful. Every single one of us. You know, being sinful means that we don't want to submit to God. All of humanity has a rebellious streak right down to the very core of our being. And, and the fact is that most people, no, all people, unless they have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, live to please ourselves. That is just an absolute fact. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, if anyone wants to come after me or wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's, that's the, where the, the, the rubber meets the road is, are you willing to set aside your agenda, set aside your will, and instead be willing to follow God's path and God's plan? Selfishness robs us of the joy that God offers when we submit to Him. You know, again... We humans are naturally selfish. We are naturally self-centered. Probably if there was a poster child for that kind of mindset, um, Shirley MacLaine comes to mind. I, I, if you all remember Shirley MacLaine, she did an interview with the Washington Post quite a number of years ago. But this is a quote from that, from that article. Shirley MacLaine said, The most pleasurable journey you take is through yourself. The only sustaining love is within yourself. When you look back on your life and try to figure out where you've been and where you're going, when you look at your work, your love affairs, your marriages, your children, your pain, your happiness, when you examine all that closely, what you really find out is that the only person that really matters is yourself. The only thing you have is working to the, the, the consummation of your own identity. And that's what I have been trying to do all of my life. Now, we sit here and cluck our tongues at, at someone like that, but the reality is, is she's just saying what most people think. You know, that be, being quite honest. She, she is just being honest enough to say, this is the way I approach my life. And a lot of people are approaching life exactly the same way. They just never have thought it through completely. But Jesus, again, going back to Matthew chapter 16, Jesus, after he says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. And then the very next verse, he says, for whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give to re in return for his soul? 
Anyone who knows much about the life of someone like Shirley MacLaine, or, or there, there are certainly others, what you look at when you see them is you see a lot of unhappiness. And, and the, the reality is, is that her life is, is, has been marred by a, a lot of unhappiness, a lot of disappointment, because all she has done is live for herself. And while we may look at her and again just go, oh my, you know, what, what, a, what a bad approach to life, the reality is, is we also need to stop and look at our own lives and, and, and realize that, again, that statement that she's making really is a summation of what many people believe. You know, that most humanity probably could adopt the motto that I am the most important person in my life. And, and the reality is, is that there are a lot of Christians who feel that same way. And I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't have a sense of self-worth. The fact is, we're made in the image of God. And if we're made in the image of God, that means we have value. We, we have purpose. And, and we shouldn't you know, feel bad about enjoying our lives and, and having a sense of, of gratification. But the reality is, is that when we place ourselves as the pinnacle, that when we, when we make life all about us, what we are doing is we are practicing idolatry. And God hates idolatry. You know, you and I, I this may come as a shock to some of you, you and I do not make very good gods because the reality is, is that if, if you are the God of your life, you're going to be disappointed an awful lot. Um, you are going to find that your God is not a very good one. And, and if, the same would be true for me. You know, Jesus is trying to help us understand that when we place God as the, as as the centerpiece of our life, which we should, we will never be disappointed because God is perfect. God is holy. God is righteous. And He does not disappoint. Jesus said in John 8.29, The one who sent me is with me. I always do what pleases Him, and He will never leave me. Now that, that's the mindset that we need to have. The Apostle Paul said a similar thing in 2 Corinthians 5.9. He says, our only goal is to always please the Lord, whether we are living here in this body or there with Him. So the Bible teaches us that living to please God should be the motivation behind everything we do. You know, we... we this concept of living to please God should challenge our, our Christian way of thinking. Because, hear me very carefully, we cannot claim to know God, we cannot claim to love God, unless we are living to please God. Pleasing God should be the primary motivator of absolutely everything you do. Living to please God is not something that we just do on Sunday morning where we come in and check off our church box and say, okay, I've done my church thing. Living to please God should be the very heartbeat 
of our lives, every moment of every day. Again, we urge you in the name of the Lord Jesus to live in a way that pleases God. Think about it. Think about if we really started to do that. If we were all really living to please God, that would revolutionize our lives. And subsequently, it would revolutionize this church. And subsequently, we would revolutionize this community. And we, as it said in the book of Acts, we could turn this world upside down. But we have to do this. We have to live to please God. Now, the second thing Paul touches about is that we need to learn to control our desires. In verse 3, he says, God's will is for you to be holy, so stay away from all sexual sin. Then each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passions like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. So what Paul is saying to the Thessalonians still certainly applies to us today. You know, controlling our carnal desires and treating other people right are very closely connected. Because when we are driven by lust, when we are, are driven about, you know, to just feed our own desires, we can't help but naturally not care about other people. Because they just become objects for, for which we are trying to, to use to manipulate in order to feed our own pleasures. Sexual desire just reduces people who are made in the image of God down to nothing other than just objects. You know, we live in a world that is heavily influenced by, by sexual lust and, and perversion. And that's because the world doesn't know God, they don't honor God, and they don't have a godly ethic. You know, regardless of what people pretend on, on the outside, the reality is, is that most people are driven by lustful desires. You know, God made sex to be an undefiled part of marriage period, between a husband and a wife in the intimacy of a home. You know, God, God gave us a gift, but it's a gift that's intended for marriage. It says in verse 3, God's will is for you to be holy. The word holy can also be translated sanctified. So what that means, holy, sanctified, it means to be set aside. It has a specific function. You know, our bodies are not to be used for anything else. You know, sex is to be set aside for marriage. It belongs in marriage and nowhere else. You know, what the world has done with it is, is not godly in any way, shape, or form. You know, verse 4 says, each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. You know, the, un the unsaved refuse to submit to God or to honor God or to honor His ways. They, they don't want to be restrained. They want to do what they please regardless. 
This past week, the, the Supreme Court repealed or, or turned back Roe versus Wade. And, and you know, thankfully, after all of these years, the, the unborn now are, are being going to be protected again. That should be a cause for celebration, but the reality is, is the, the, the people of the world became angry. They became uh, livid. How dare someone limit the, the, what I want to do with my body? You know, this, this decision should have been something where people celebrate the fact that the unborn are protected, but instead they, they want to be able to murder the unborn and not be held responsible. You know, I want to do whatever I want with no consequence. That's the mindset of the world. Verse 4 says, each of you will control his own body and live in holiness and honor. God has told us that it's his will that we avoid immorality. And, and what, what is sexual immorality? It's the same base word that we get pornography from. You know, it's, it's the idea that, that a person is engaged in any kind of, of ungodly behavior. You know, so, so it's not just things like extramarital or, or premarital sex, but it's also things like homosexuality, you know, incest, all of that stuff. All of the things that you're not supposed to talk about from the pulpit, right? Uh, it, it's all of the stuff that has no place in any person's life, but it especially has no place in a godly person's life. God's plan was that one man and one woman be united for a lifetime in marriage. And sex is part of the privilege of that union. You know, and, and God hasn't changed His mind. God hasn't changed His plan. It's always been wrong to be outside of marriage, and, and it continues to be wrong. It doesn't matter what the society has decided. God's plan is absolute. You know, and it's, it, 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 it's God's will that we control our bodies. The, the way you do that is by submitting, by placing your life before God and saying, God, I want you in control, and I will do what is necessary to allow you to be in control. God's standards are in sharp contrast to the standards of, un, of the unbelieving pagans who give in to their lust. You know, and, and so if you, if you are struggling in these areas, understand God wants you to control your body. Now, I would be a massive hypocrite if I didn't stop at this point as I'm sitting here speaking to you about these things with my fat gut hanging over my pants. You know, the, the reality is, is it's still sin. My fat gut is sin just as much as extramarital affairs or, or anything else. We need to understand that we are to control our bodies. That means sexually, yes, but that also means we don't give in to any of our passions or our lusts 
that are not godly. It doesn't matter. Wrong is wrong is wrong. And so if you have an area that you're struggling with, submit it to God. Confess it to God. Repent of it before God. And take the steps necessary to fix it. Verse 5, not in lustful passion like the pagans who do not know God and His ways. We are, to, you know, we are confessing that we know God. So let's behave like we know God. Every aspect of our lives are directly tied to our relationship with God. You know, and, and so there is no area in your life that should be off limits to God. Hebrews 13.4, this is going back to the, the issue of, of marriage. It says, marriage should be honored by everyone, and every marriage should be kept pure between husband and wife. God will judge guilty those who commit sexual sins and adultery. Understand, God's commandments, all of God's commandments, not just a little handful, every commandment God has given us, He's not doing that in order to be a party pooper. He's not doing that in order to deny you being able to have fun. The whole point of why God has given us commandments is to protect us so that we can enjoy the, the purity that God offers so that we will have joy. Not that we are being denied joy. Warren Wiersbe said, Thou shalt not commit adultery builds a wall around marriage that makes the relationship not a prison, but a safe and beautiful garden. So, we need to understand that we are to live by an absolute ethical standard. It is God's perfect standard. The very first step is that we are to learn to live to please God. The second one is that we are to learn to control our desires. And then finally, we are to learn to love one another. In verse 9, it says, We don't need to write to you about the importance of loving each other, for God Himself has taught you to love each other. Indeed, you already show your love for all the believers through Macedonia. Even so, dear brothers and sisters, we urge you to love them even more. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Paul is saying, and, and, and I'm saying to, to us here, it's obvious that there is love among the body. It, it's recognized. You know, I know that you guys love each other. You know, some, of, some love more than others, but, but there, is a, there is a sense of, of camaraderie, a sense of love, a sense of family, a sense of connection. And that's good, but there's always room for improvement. And, and that's what Paul is telling them here. You're doing a good job, but there's room to be even better. 
See, one of the problems that the Thessalonian church was having was they believed that Jesus was coming back shortly. And so in their mind, they thought, well, if Jesus is coming back, I don't really need to go to work anymore. And so they just kind of got a glass of tea, got the lawn chair, and they sat down and they said, all right, Jesus, you can come on. I'm ready for you. And they quit working. And Paul's saying, no, that's not a good idea, folks. We don't know exactly when Jesus is coming up. And so finish your glass of tea and then get back to work. You know, that's kind of what Paul's trying to help them understand. And so their, their lives had been disrupted because a lot of them had just kind of quit working. So what, what do we need to understand Paul says, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Paul, Paul understood that it's not a good thing to just sit around and do nothing. And, and so we need to understand that also, that it's, it's our job to love, to love the body of Christ. Well, how do we do that? Well, the first thing we do is we, we treat each other with a sense of dignity, with a sense of respect, with a sense of honor. We do our best to help each other out. If you know of someone that's struggling in some area, you do what you can to help them. You, you pray for them, obviously, but then you also encourage them. You support them. If they're, if they're struggling with financial things, you do what you can to help. If they're struggling in relationships, you do what you can to help. It's, it's not the preacher's job. It's all of our jobs to support and encourage and nurture and, and help each other out. That's what the church is all about. And that's what love looks like. And so, uh, you know, the, the world needs to see us doing that. You know, um, if someone comes to visit, they can tell pretty quickly whether people care about each other or not. You know, it's sad. I've had people actually tell me, well, I know old so-and-so that goes to your church and you know, they've got the foulest mouth of anyone I've ever met. Or, um, you know, I know this person that goes to your church and, and they're the biggest drunk in town. Or I know this person and they go to your church and they're a pervert. I mean, they're always telling dirty jokes and they laugh the loudest at the dirty jokes. And, you know, that hurts. You know, when I hear those sort of things about this, this body, that hurts. You know, what am I supposed to tell when someone says something to me like that? You know, it's like, well, you know, you got me on that one. And that's why the world calls people of the church hypocrites. Because we try to live one way when we're at church and we live a different way when we're out there. That's wrong. You know, so, so Paul is saying... Learn to mind your own business. You know, you don't have to stick your nose into other people's. If you find out someone's struggling, do what you can to help them. But don't let the left hand know what the right hand's doing. Don't make it a big deal. And, and do, do your job. Be good at your job. You know, the, the lost world is watching us, whether we realize it or not. You know, he says, then people who are not believers will respect the way you live. You know, when we're honest, we, re, we win respect 
from people who are not a part of the church. You know, and if we love each other and we support each other and we care about each other, we don't carry grudges and we're not, we're not waiting for a chance to slit someone's throat, whether it's physically or, or, or mentally. You know, People outside the church see the way we live. You know, um, there was a, a study done in Lincoln, Nebraska. And this woman went to 18 different churches in subsequent Sundays. And the, the research was she dressed nicely, she showered, she smiled, you know, she wasn't, she wasn't looking like she was really out there or anything like that. And she always sat in the sanctuary in the spit section up here. And, you know, on each occasion, she was dressed very nicely. She smiled. She, she did everything she knew to do to be inviting. And there was a scale where if, if she got a smile from someone, that was worth 10 points. If she was greeted by someone, that was worth 10 points. If that person introduced themselves and asked for her name, that was worth a hundred points. If she was invited to Bible study or a fellowship, that was worth 200 points. It was worth a thousand points if she was introduced to someone else by that person. It was worth 2,000 if she was invited to meet the pastor. I don't know why that was the most highest one. After visiting 18 different churches in 18 different weeks, there was no church that scored higher than 100 points. My question to us is, how would Park Baptist do? You know, when people come and visit this church, what do they meet? Do they meet people who love and who are embracing and are warm? Or do they meet a bunch of religious people who are playing the country club game. You know, that this is our little club. I hope not. We need to stop and understand that the Christian life is the most important part of anything in any of our lives. It, it should define who we are. And when someone looks at us, do they see godly behavior? Do they see people who are lear learning to live to please God? Do they see people who are controlling themselves, controlling their desires? Do they see people who are trying to love? That's the ethics that we need to be known by. We don't want to be religious. You know, the, the world doesn't need more religion. What the world needs is authentic Christians. Let's be that. And let's be that seriously. Let's go to the Lord now in prayer. Father, I will confess myself. I need you. I fail. I am a failure. And I know that anyone who tries to walk the Christian life is going to struggle. We're going to fail. We're going to not measure up. But the fact that you have called us to live this kind of life 
means that that's where we are to, that's where we are to be. Help us, Lord, to not settle for something other than making You supreme in our lives. Help us to do the, the battle that's necessary. Help us to live the life that is necessary so that we make a difference. Help us, Lord, to honor You by placing You first. And I just pray right now for each and every person that's a part of this service, whether they're here in the room or whether they're watching online. Speak to them, Lord. Help them to understand the, the greatness of what You are calling us to. A life of service to the living God. You're, you're not just calling us to, to get saved so we can go to heaven when we die. You're calling us to serve You, to live for You, to be devoted to You. Help us, Lord. And Father, my prayer is that You would speak to each and every one of us. And where there needs to be brokenness and repentance, I pray for that, Father. Even in my own life. And I pray that You will help each and every one of us to take serious the call on our life. To live ethically by your biblical standards. Regardless of what the world does or says, help us to live according to your standards. And I pray all this for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.